This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. First, let's get a bit of an update to yesterday's story. Bishop Zanchetta, the alleged predator priest being given shelter by Francis, announced that he would return to Argentina to face charges. That's obviously a good sign, and in the name of transparency, I thought it worth mentioning. Zanchetta's lawyers continue to deny the allegations of predatory behavior, targeting seminarians on the part of Zanchetta, and that the request for an international warrant had been rejected by the judges in question. So anyway, there's that. On to the topic at hand. Francis has been on an ecumenical trip of sorts in Asia, including Thailand and Japan. The t theme of the trip is supposed to be peace and religious tolerance, which is in keeping with the various movements in the church that he has been part of lately, including the Amazon Synod and the various synods of the past few years, which always featured a downplaying, if not outright, rejection of what Francis always called proselytizing, but what we usually call spreading the gospel or the Great Commission. You know, that great missionary spirit of the church, which, since the time of Christ, has featured the great saints of the church bringing the light of Christ to a world that did not know him. It's certainly gone out of style in the decades since the council, but the Great Commission still stands as one of the commands given by Christ to the apostles and to the believers in general. You know, that includes us. But in the current pontificate, religious pluralism has taken a renewed focus. We already had seen this prior to Francis and the absurd idea that non-Christian groups worship the same God as Christians, or that our so-called elder brothers in the faith have an enduring covenant with God and can find salvation without Christ, who becomes merely the privileged path to salvation. All those positions were rejected explicitly by the church over her great history, and yet for many years they had become the view expressed by those occupying the highest offices of the church. Personally, I'd suggest taking Christ's words seriously when he said that no one gets to the Father except through him. This includes all the groups that if you say a word against today, you get labeled as some kind of hateful bigot. But the most bigoted thing a person can do is to deny a group the gospel, to keep them from knowing our Lord through some live religious pluralism, which is just religious indifferentism dressed up in the trappings of peace. But the trip to Japan and Thailand is just another trip in a long list of such trips taken by Francis. I'm not the only one noticing that this push for indifferentism is heterodox either. An article from Crux, of all places, is worth quoting at length here. The issue of religious pluralism has been one of the causes championed by Francis, as evident in the Amazon Synod and the Abrahamic House and numerous outreaches he's made to other religions, and of course is chastising anyone who takes the Great Commission seriously. This article from Crux is surprisingly good, and if you want to read the full thing, I'll have a link to it on the Sources blog as is usual. I am not going to read the full thing here. It begins with some context, and then points out that something is missing from this Asia trip, namely any reference to a controversial document from the late John Paul II papacy that had been written by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, and that document was called Dominus Iesus. Quote, Literally, the Lord Jesus. That's the title of a September 2000 document issued by the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, under then-Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, the future Pope Benedict XVI. 
Its topic was the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, and by extension, limits to the validity and saving power of non-Christian religions. Key points in the document included, Revelation in Christ is complete and cannot be completed by other religions, even though the divine mystery in itself remains inexhaustible. Sacred writings of other religions may have elements that maintain a life relationship with God, but only the Old and New Testaments are inspired texts. Whatever the Holy Spirit may bring about in other religions serves as a preparation for the gospel and can only be understood in reference to Christ. Non-Catholic Christian churches have defects, and Protestant communities are not churches at all in the proper sense. To the extent non-Catholic communities lead people to salvation, it is derived from the very fullness of grace and truth entrusted to the Catholic Church. Prayers and rituals of other religions do not have a divine origin, and some superstitions or other errors represent an obstacle to salvation. Catholics must be committed to announcing the necessity of conversion to Jesus Christ. Though such matters represent perennial topics in Catholic theology, the reason the document was issued at that moment was widely understood to be the rise of what's known as the Theology of Religious Pluralism, a movement positing that non-Christian religions can be vehicles for revelation and salvation in their own right. It's especially associated with figures linked to Asia, including the late Jesuit father, Jacques Dupuy, Indian Jesuit father, Michael Amaladas, the late Spanish and Indian father, Raymond Dupanikar, and Sri Lankan Jesuit Aloysius Pieris. All these figures, at one stage or another, found themselves in the crosshairs of the Vatican's doctrinal agency, and Dominus Iesus was effectively the synthesis of those individual disciplinary procedures and investigations. At a press conference presenting the document, Ratzinger said it had been prompted by a worrisome influence of the negative theology of Asia in the West. In large part, the concern was, and remains, the impact of theological thinking on mission. Christianity, in its essence, is a missionary religion, and the final command of Christ on earth was to go forth and make disciples of all the nations. If Catholicism were to see that one can be perfectly fine in the eyes of God by following another religion, therefore many worry what incentive the church would have to invite others to the faith. End, end quote. And I completely agree with that last statement. Like I said, the whole article is actually pretty good, and I recommend it. A link is found on the blog for the show notes, which should be the top link in the description of this podcast. I could spend time dissecting the weird points made in Dominus Iesus, but I'm not going to bother. Anyway, the author goes on to point out that religious pluralism has long roots in liberation theology, which is a secular movement that has infected mainstream Catholicism around the world and, frankly, underscores much of what the Vatican is doing these days. That itself was made possible by the post-conciliar church attempting to address the concerns of those who got sucked into that evil Marxist ideology by adopting their less troubling positions, which required the church rejecting some of its own social teaching. This is where some of the impetus to democratize the church came from, for example, and in so doing fertilized the already planted seeds of religious pluralism that came from the Second Vatican Council. One of these positions is the preferential option for the poor, which replaced a more nuanced view of the social relationships in a hierarchical society that the church always recognized as valid, and traditionally called on the recognition of hierarchical social authority, and those in authority to do their jobs, to care for the poor, but in the way that did not undermine the rights of those who ruled, and the poor did not have the right to, to uh, take things away from the wealthy by force. That's just one example of what had been taken and reworked from liberation theology. Religious pluralism is another obvious choice in ideas influenced by liberation theology. We saw it on start display in the Amazon Synod, 
we saw completely shamelessly adopted by the likes of Bishop Crowler and others who bragged about how they've never baptized an indigenous person in all their lives or in their time in the Episcopacy of South America and how they will refuse to do so for the rest of their careers. One wonders how they remain Catholic with that attitude. We see it in the Abu Dhabi statement that is being, as we speak, implemented around the world, and we see it in the strange behavior of American prelates when they find themselves representing the church in public. The most recent example of this is when Bishop Robert Barron was invited to lead prayer at the start of a day's work in Congress, and he refused to make the sign of the cross, and he even refused to pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Religious pluralism is a cancer, for there is no salvation except through Christ in his church. Yet the great modern error is that what religion you are part of does not matter as long as you are a decent person. For the Americans listening to this, I want you to take the Great Commission with you and ponder it as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday. That holiday, be it secular in nature and Protestant in its roots, is a rightly ordered holiday where we should be reflecting upon all that God has given us and that we should be and all that we should be thankful for. The gift many forget about is the gift of salvation itself, the gift of the sacrifice on the cross and the bodily resurrection, and the gift of the Eucharist, among all the great gifts given to us by our Lord. That's why one good way to start your Thanksgiving is, if you are able, to go to Mass. If you can square the words of our Lord that there is no way to the Father save through Him and the religious pluralism of our day, then you might be a smarter person than I am. But I don't think it can be done, and that's a tragedy itself, because so many people are caught up in this indifferentism to the saving truth of the faith. After Thanksgiving comes Advent, and the new liturgical year should provide us an opportunity to bring even one new person to the faith in accordance with our Lord's command in the Great Commission. If you want to do more to resist the errors of the current leaders in the Church, there is no greater way to do that than by rejecting this move for false ecumenism and religious pluralism. And you do that by inviting someone to Mass, or inviting someone into the true and authentic Catholic faith. It is hard. It's very hard. But in the end, that is what our Lord commanded us to do. I do hope you have a th happy Thanksgiving. I will have videos up through the week, though there will be something a little bit lighter on Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.